0: You'd never think that you could connect Cars 3 to Hamilton, but here we are.
1: Hi everyone! Welcome to this week's episode of Feminist Fiends in Quarantine Queens. I'm Quinn. I'm Nelly, And I'm Pate. Although we love getting to sit down and discuss feminism and pop culture with you all every week, today's episode is especially exciting because it is our 10th episode. Wow! I'm not sure how you all have put up with listening to us for 10 weeks, but we are so, so grateful for all of our listeners and followers on Spotify and Instagram. Thank you.
2: Thank you guys for listening. Before we dig into today's conversation, we would like to encourage all of you to continue to donate to, advocate for, and educate yourself and your friends and family about the Black Lives Matter movement. Please stick around to the end of the show for some organizations and resources to get involved with to make this world a more equitable and inclusive place. To celebrate
0: hitting double digits, we're taking on a favorite among the three of us that has received massive critical acclaim. Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton. If you live under a rock, Hamilton is an international phenomenon and started streaming on Disney Plus on July 3rd and has sparked renewed interest in the fandom and raised questions about representation in theater as a whole. So to get started, I just thought it would be good for us to talk about like our own like personal history or relationship with this musical. Um, I personally saw it live in Nashville, in January um and I was just curious like if y'all had seen it how it compared um watching it on screen this time around if you had seen it before and like were there things that you noticed that you hadn't
2: I have never seen it in real life which is sad because I love musicals Um, and I just started listening to the soundtrack I think my junior year during exam season and it really you know. Got my brain juices flowing. But this was my first time being able to put the music and see it, you know, on stage. Of course, I had seen my share of YouTube clips, sorry. But it was was so much better to be able to witness it and see how it was supposed to be staged. And I loved it. I would always enter my name in the lottery. And just be like, you know, if I win it, I'm just going to fly up there and see it and come back. Like, that is just a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And newsflash, I never
1: won the lottery. (laughs) (laughs) I think we should also clarify that maybe Pate was putting her name into, like, her state lottery, but also the Broadway show, like, had a lottery option where you could put your name in to win a Broadway ticket. Again, if you live under a rock, you may not have known that. I saw Hamilton... January in Nashville as well and to be quite honest I remember when this like the soundtrack came out our senior year of high school when I was in musical theater I was that kid just kidding um I played an ensemble role in my senior year production of All Shook Up called Randy in quotation marks female townsperson and I had one line which was I like to neck," and all the theater kids around me the music started right. It was the song before we got electrocuted by the power of music and our town was set ablaze by the powers of love. And someone said, No necking allowed. And I ran up and said, I like to neck. Neck? Like smooch. Oh, okay. Continue. Um, anywho, but all the kids around me would listen to Hamilton all the time. And I was like, fork these kids. This sucks. I hate Hamilton. This is a flop. And so my mom and dad loved Hamilton. Like, Work is my dad's second most listened to song on Spotify of all time. Behind, behind These Hazel Eyes by Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> but what am I talking about? Hold what on, I work? Just, like, she means the Skylar sisters. Girl. Oh hey my fan. god. Hey, I'm man. literally having an aneurysm. So then I saw it. This January with my family, was not expecting much, thought it was a really cool opportunity, was excited to like have that time with my family and my sister, came out of it like obsessed. And my older sister, who's 25, who could give two toots in the toilet about musical theater in general, actually got banned from the Tennessee Performing Arts Center by our family because she was so mean to all of us during Wicked and hated it and like threw a fit at the second act wanting to go home when she was like 17. And she loved it. And so we've become like huge Hamilton fans within my family. And we had a big streaming party where we drank French 75s and got a little turn and watched it on Friday night. And we loved it. I will say the one thing that stuck out to me even more watching it on stage via a camera rather than in person was how beautiful the dancing is. I was so glad That we got to see the dancers in the background ensemble performers up close because seeing their commitment and the passion and the energy in their eyes, I think just gave it this whole other effect that I wasn't really getting when I saw it, you know, in the back row of the Tennessee Performing Arts Center. But overall, it was beautiful, and I'm really glad that it's accessible to a larger audience across the world because, as Pate mentioned, it was really hard to get tickets to. I think it still is, will be when Broadway comes back.
0: I will just say I had a pretty similar relationship to Hamilton when it was, like, first a thing. I definitely wanted to see it because I feel that way about musicals in general. But – and if something is that, like, renowned or exciting, like, I would have wanted to see it. But I remember, like, the summer after it came out or the summer it came out – I don't remember what time of year it came out, whatever – I was working at um an Episcopal summer camp in New Hampshire, shout out Barbara C. Harris, and my campers were obsessed with it, and they like wrote a grace to the tune of my shot. And it was like, I'm not throwing away my lunch. <laughs> like that was and then it was like Amen at the end. And so I feel like that was my relationship with Hamilton um and also i think because people were so obsessed with it but i like did it i hadn't like been bitten by the hamilton bug yet i was kind of like okay this is like a lot of like the way in which people are obsessed with it but i think i uh, similar to quinn after like getting the opportunity to see it and and before then as well just like loving it but also i think it did hit differently
1: watching it now even than it did when i watched it in january which is pretty interesting so this is the question that i asked my family after we watched it because again my family are huge fans number one who's your favorite character in the musical and number two if big big broadway called you tomorrow who would you want to play i'll begin because i know the fans are simply dying to know peggy is my favorite because she is a star and an icon and i know that it's like a double role so technically when mariah comes on for act two that's not peggy but it's played by the same actress i uh, i want all those songs she's just a star literally uh what's the name of that song say no to this say no to this who that ish is sassy and so good if Big Big Broadway called me tomorrow, I would definitely be the king. I don't think that there's any question about that. I, when Jonathan Groff was like spitting all over himself and like convulsing, I was like, I relate to this on a spiritual level because I too get a little spitty when I speak. And also I just think that I have big king energy.
0: Was anyone else stressed when he was spitting just because of like COVID and like the current context we're living in? Because I was like, oof, like Jonathan Groff, you're the most talented man ever, but also like the spit, like (laughs) wear a mask.
2: No, I literally was like, wow, he's so in character. He's (laughs) spitting.
0: So the King's one of my, one of my favorite characters just because I think that Jonathan Groff is brilliant. And then I think, I think I have a really, really soft spot for John Lawrence. So and I love the actor that plays him. I can't remember his name right now, but King Anthony Ramos. Thank you. He's in a. Um, Sorry, I forgot your name, King. If you're listening, uh, Anthony Ramos. I love you. I'm literally obsessed with Stars you. He's a friend. I know. He's in a Star is Born. He's so talented. He and I just think John Lawrence is a really like I don't know his friendship with Hamilton and like I just think his character is really like for me I'm like special um and then if i were to play someone i play angelica because i identify i don't know i she has a lot of really like important quotable moments and then i think like as i don't know there are like her her highs and her lows of the musical are like things i like heavily relate to like i think the fact that she is like very much like self assured and well read and like confident in like who she is as a person Like that, I'm like, yes, queen, get it. But then in terms of like her dynamic with Hamilton and like her, but also like her relationship with her sister, like her loyalty to her sister and like not putting herself first when it comes to like her romantic life. Or maybe she does. I don't know. We could talk more in depth about that, but.
2: You have big Angelica energy.
0: B A E. Yeah, I just also I love that part where she like disses Aaron Burr like right away. Like you meet her and she just like disses him. I don't know. I'm just obsessed with her. And also like truly the one scene I consistently cry in in Hamilton is the Skylar sisters, which is bizarre because it is not sad. But why I remember when I why do I cry?
2: Yeah, like what? powerful
0: and beautiful and talented. And they get on the stage and you're like, <gasps> like when I saw it live in. January I literally they went like they did the like, classic like work thing and I literally sobbed like I turned to Sarah shout out Sarah if you're listening she designed our cover art love her I literally turned to her and I was like oh my god they're so perfect and she was like you're crazy but also she was like yeah same I'm also losing it but yeah that's the one scene I consistently cry and I also cry like 5,000 times throughout this
2: film musical but Angelica my queen so, hot take. I'm about to give a hot take, but I love David Diggs's portrayal of Thomas Jefferson. Like, okay. I know I'm not supposed to like him, but like I can't help it. I like I don't know. Last, you know, last podcast I talked about how we hate we love to hate Glimmer, and I feel like we kind of love to hate Thomas Jefferson. They have that little beef. He was off getting it with the French. Where was he when we were creating America? I don't know. Who would you play? Okay. And then I've also thought about, like, literally I've had dreams about being Miss Mariah Reynolds. Um, so <laughs> I might have to fight for that. But also knowing myself, I love attention. I love being the star of the show. So I might want to be um, Eliza.
1: I thought you were going to say I might want to be Hamilton and I was going to support that. Oh (laughs) Oh my God, being Hamilton would be a good show.
2: (laughs) I also like, we'll hopefully get into it, but I really just think Eliza is a powerful character and I think if
1: I had the chance, I would smash the song Burn. I'd love to just get into those conversations. So give us some tea on Eliza. I know you have some... TikTok trends. I'm, like, 900 years old. I don't have TikTok, so I don't know what to call them TikToks to discuss. I'm just gonna mute myself now because I'm embarrassing myself.
2: Okay, so the TikTok Hamilton community has this whole theory that the very last, um, you know, instance of Eliza, like, you know, gasping is her breaking the fourth wall and witnessing all the people who are here to listen to Hamilton's story because, you know, she's in the rafters for most of the song. She's in the background and people have said that the end isn't Alexander showing Eliza. It's um, Miranda himself showing Eliza the crowd. What do you think about this theory that maybe The idea is that this show isn't about Alexander Hamilton, but instead is about Eliza Hamilton. And that's why it's called Hamilton, not Alexander Hamilton.
1: Can I just say really fast that even just hearing you describe that gave me goose pimples? I hadn't
0: heard the theory that it's Miranda showing Eliza. And I really like that. And that makes me more excited about this because I do feel like when I watched it, like, I think I understood that she was seeing the audience, but I don't think I understood that it was like Miranda showing her the audience. And I think that that obviously I didn't see it with the memoir Miranda. I wish, but I do think that like, that is a really interesting idea and okay. Hot take. This is a really random niche thing. And I know I've brought up cars three on this podcast before, but Oh my God. But okay. When I was driving home from Cape Cod today, I was thinking about how, it's really power- i think it can be really powerful when a film or a musical or what story like you're saying pate ends up being like framed through the female protagonist and they end up being like the hero in the story um, that's spoiler alert that's the case in cars 3 if you'd like to see it you think it's about
1: lightning mcqueen it's not it's about the female protagonist we're going to have to put a content warning at the beginning of this that says cars 3 spoilers <laughs>
0: You'd never think that you could connect Cars 3 to Hamilton, but here we are, Um, and I think the ending of Hamilton in particular is pretty powerful, and the fourth wall thing is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I agree. I love the idea that it's framed this way because I'm currently reading a book about Eliza Hamilton. She really did dedicate the rest of her life to saving Hamilton's manuscripts and trying to make sense of them. And so I think that it was cool. If it was a fictional musical, I might be more frustrated by that, by that whole plot line and that narrative that, oh, her husband died because Mm -hmm. he was kind of being a poo-poo head and died because of dead-ass toxic masculinity. And then she went on to forgive him and tell his story and do all of these amazing things. Like that seems too good to be true but in this case that is actually fact. And so I think that it was doing her story and her character a great justice at the end to again kind of recenter her. I mean, literally center her at the, at the center of the stage for that end moment. And I just thought it was really powerful because I'm sure that Eliza Hamilton, if you could tell her now that this is what this phenomenon would be, I think she would have that reaction of being just absolutely shocked that her life's work has meant this much to so many people now that it's accessible to so many people.
2: So you think Hamilton like shot during the duel shot in the air because of toxic masculinity? I always thought it was from the guilt of telling his son to shoot in the air and then resulting in his death.
1: I don't think the shooting in the air was toxic masculinity. Oh my gosh, I'm literally gonna get canceled for like hating on Hamilton. No, you're not. I don't think him shooting in the air was toxic masculinity, but obviously the things that got him to that point to where he was in a duel with Alexander, I mean, not with Alexander Hamilton, with Aaron Burr, like that in and of itself, that environment is toxic masculinity like at its finest. So I think that in his final moments, I agree. I never thought about it, and framing Philip that way. But that's really cool. I like that. I'm going to have to rewatch why, this.
2: Like, why can not he just say, no, I don't want to duel you?
1: I know. And then he was, like, doing Aaron Burr so dirty by checking out the gun and putting on his glasses and making him think that he was going to shoot him. I empathize with Aaron Burr in that moment, truthfully. I
0: think he's kind of, it's kind of fair for him to be afraid. Aaron Burr is a type six, I think. <laughs> I want to talk about how this musical, like streaming on Disney Plus during this time and kind of its reactions to it, considering the political, not even political, just like the climate we're living in. I mean, it is politicized, but it shouldn't be. So one of the articles I saw circulating on Facebook in anticipation of the musical's release on Disney Plus was a Time Magazine article by Andrew R. Chow titled, The Hamilton movie is finally upon us, but is the groundbreaking musical already outdated? Um, And actually Mandy, who was on our episode last week with The Hunger Games, shared this and I read it and I know that um, she's a big Hamilton fan, but really appreciated reading this article and um, I wanted to read it before we had this conversation. Basically, Chow praises Hamilton's rejection of the white-dominated theater world, but he recognizes how, quote, When the film drops on Disney Plus on July 3rd, it will arrive into a world that has been transformed by the past four years. A very different president holds power. Income inequality has widened. A pandemic has wiped out the life savings of thousands of Americans, souring the musical's bootstraps premise. Over the past month, thousands of protesters have taken to the streets to excoriate America's systemic racial inequalities, many of which can be traced back to the men Hamilton celebrates through song and dance, end quote. What do you all think of this? Um, did rewatching watching this musical during this time feel different than the musical we originally fell in
1: love with, whether it was with watching it or listening to the music? Yeah, I love this article and I was really glad that you shared it with us, Nellie, because I think it articulated a lot of the problematic aspects I myself was contending with when I watched this film. And I know that there's been a lot of debate, especially on academic Twitter, which Side note, I just love academic Twitter um, with a lot of people talking about, okay, how do we hold both of these truths in our hands that these men did build America, but not an America for everyone, that they were evil people inherently because they held slaves. But does that mean that we can completely discard and disregard this piece of work that talks about the ways in which they set up the systems that we now live in in America? And in that article, Professor Lyra Montero from Rutgers University says, quote, since George Floyd, I wonder if its expiration date has already passed in reference to the musical. It's hard to imagine people saying this is the musical of our moment because the characters not only kept black people in bondage themselves, but also designed a country that would preserve their system, end quote. And I think this article also talks about Gone with the Wind, which of course is like, quote-unquote classic southern portrayal whitewashing of history um, that portrays the south as like a place that was wronged and slaves were well taken care of which is simply not the truth but i think that when you look at hamilton in comparison to gone with the wind it's like night and day and i think that hamilton is interesting in the way in which it employs actors of color and black identifying actors of color to play these parts. And in that sense, I think that it is reclaiming that history and reclaiming that narrative to show that, you know, immigrants, we get the job done. I I think that that's a great quote. And I I love the idea of holding both truths in our hands, that these were genuinely terrible people who by today's standards, well, I can't even say that I was going to say are super un-American, but under Donald Trump's America, they kind of are. But And my West Wing heart of hearts, that's not a true American, even if they are the ones who created, quote unquote, created the United States, a.k.a. like committed genocide against Native Americans and Native peoples. But at the same time, I don't think that we can disregard or discard the importance of this piece of art because it speaks to a lot of people of a lot of different backgrounds. And I think that that's something that's really powerful. And it's made theater more accessible to students of theater, specifically students of color, who haven't seen themselves in musicals for a really long time. Plays have been a different story. It's still predominantly white, but I think that there are more spaces, and not a lot, but more spaces on that side of things. So to see how groundbreaking this musical really has been is really, really exciting.
2: Um, Not to bring up TikTok again, I'm really showing my age, but um, I saw another Hamilton TikTok, which said, you know, it brings me so much joy knowing that the founding fathers are rolling in their grave, knowing that a person of color is portraying them in this musical kind of as like a, an excuse for why, not an excuse for why it's okay to like and watch Hamilton, but just like, you know, the three of us have learned the importance of storytelling and the power of how a story is told Quinn, you and I probably, you know, have experienced this more in our English classes. Um, So I think to the point that you made, it is so powerful that these characters are being portrayed by people of color um, and furthering, allowing, you know, rap music to be brought into the Broadway scene because I think for so long like you just said Broadway is like you know you have this idea of what is show tunes and Hamilton I think completely just brings in this whole new fresh light of what is acceptable on stage and you know you can have people of color rapping about uh, the founding fathers and it is the most historical Tony award-winning play of our or musical of our lifetime and probably will be for a long time, so, but I don't think that should discredit, you know, the reality of who they are portraying, and that it, it is an unacceptable standard for, obviously, today.
1: Yeah, and I love that point that you made, Pate. I've always thought that that's great. We, the three of us, as you probably know by now, graduated from the University of the South, um, which, as you can tell by its name, has a lot of problematic history that it still needs to contend with and grapple with. Um, But a phrase that I've often heard in reference to Swanee is be the Swanee that the founders would hate. And I remember one of my best friends my freshman year, Nora Vines, who graduated um, from Swanee in 2017, always used to say that her being on campus would make the founders roll over in their grave. And that was something that she took a lot of pride in. And I love this idea that honestly, yeah, Thomas Jefferson, if he knew that he was being played by David Diggs and portrayed in this way to a large family audience on Disney+, Plus, he probably would be none too happy. And I kind of love that. I think that's awesome.
0: Well, yeah, this was something that I feel like, the, I just think this article is so well written because it does praise Hamilton for the things it shouldn't be praised for, but also thinks really critically about it, which as you've heard me say, like, this is something I'm always, like, trying to do. Like, it's like, yes, we can love something, but be like, hmm, this is an area of growth. <laughs> like, and I feel like, so the original Broadway director, Thomas Kale, writes, quote, they did what they did and it is our job to look back and challenge it and talk about how we can do better to try and make a country that represents and protects all of its citizens, end quote. And like, as I was saying, I, while I completely agree with the sentiment and it's the attitude I tend to have when consuming and confronting with pop culture, can this effectively be done with something as widely circulated and beloved? Like I think about what you were saying earlier, Pate, how like we love to hate Thomas Jefferson. And, but I like think about how, and and then I also agree with what you just said, Quinn, where how that would make him roll over in his grave. But I worry that there are people watching this and then, like, glorifying Thomas Jefferson to a certain extent. And, like, he's a very, like, he's, like, a hilariously, like, kind of evil but in, like, a lovable way character. Like, his character is super entertaining. And I just wonder how many consumers are actually – like, of this musical are actually thinking critically about it. I, I wonder what y'all think.
1: I think that's a great point that I actually was not thinking of until you just brought that up. But I would agree. It, he portrays... It, the musical vilifies him, but not for being a slave owner. Like, that's something that's kind of subtext. Um, but it's well known that he quote unquote, had a relationship with his slave, Sally Hemings, which began when she was 14 years old, and he was 44, and she bore five of his children. So that is, in fact, rape, although popular culture nowadays has tried to spin it and frame it as a love story, which is kind of disgusting. But he died before her, and she died in captivity, and he did not release any of his sons and daughters into freedom once they were born from Sally Hemings until they came, quote unquote, of age. But again, that's something that you wouldn't know. That's something that I didn't know until I read a book about Sally Hemings, you know? And I think that there is a real danger there, to your point, Nellie, that that subtext, that's something that I think Miranda kind of assumes that the audience knows, especially, I can't remember if it was this article or another article that I read. It talks about how slavery is briefly mentioned at the beginning of Act Two, and Hamilton is silent on the subject, and like how his silence essentially like hits really differently now in 2020 but mm-hmm. again it kind of begs the question like is this enough why didn't questions of slavery really come to the forefront of these um, arguments and these rat battles and things I think that's a really good point especially when this musical is being used widely to teach history and a lot of public school systems
0: yeah and I think like yes I kind of going off what you just said Quinn there was some a part in the article where Miranda said that the show never backs away from a practice in which every character on stage is complicit the practice of slavery um however like I think in a lot of ways while Hamilton is has like great representation except for Native Americans there's no representation of Native Americans or mention of them so I want to recognize that because there are there's definitely like an idolization of colonialism but I do think that, like, in a lot of ways, while Lin-Manuel Miranda is extremely talented, he is complicit in this telling of history that we've, that we consumed, at least I consumed, I don't want to speak for y'all, but a telling of history that is more or less like, yeah, the slave trade had happened and then slaves were freed. That as we very, as we very are keenly aware of, that is not the case, slavery still exists um, in a in a um in, an un, in a more obscured way yes, probably. exactly, thank you, yeah, slavery exists in an obscure way. I worry that I think it's a nuance, like I think if we were getting a accurate um if we were getting an accurate telling of history in our school systems, then this musical wouldn't be wouldn't necessarily have as huge stakes. In its telling, but I think because it doesn't, I don't think it goes, while I love Hamilton, I don't think it goes like the extra, it needed to go like the extra mile in terms of like telling this in a little bit more of an accurate way, because I worry that it's idolizing characters that were really complicit and active, not even complicit, active in creating systemic racism in our country. So, like, while I, would have much rather watch Hamilton on the 4th of July than like watch fireworks and celebrate a country that I personally don't super believe in right now. At the same time, I worry that like, is it all that, are those two things like all that different? I don't know. That's a big hot take. But as much as I love Hamilton, I was like, this is like harder to watch in this moment of time because it's celebrating the colonists.
2: Well, not to I don't disagree with that at all. I do think though that Hamilton, the character isn't supposed to be perfect though. I think we see him mess up a lot. And when we first see him, he is, you know, really not rowdy. That's a bad word for it. But he like, (laughs) he's so, he is so opinionated and he wants to tell everyone his opinion. And you know, he doesn't listen to commands well, and, you know, he cheats on his wife, who is pretty freaking great, you know, for the audience, like the audience sees her. I think the audience sees Eliza as probably the least problematic character, even though she is problematic in her own ways. And then, like, he gives his son really bad advice and, you know, ends up, one could argue, killing him, subvertly. Um, so I think like Miranda does a good job of allowing us to appreciate Hamilton as a character while also seeing his flaws. And so then hopefully people can take from that, like, oh, Hamilton is not a perfect like founding father. And then Thomas Jefferson obviously is not a perfect founding father because he kind of is vilified in the, in this story. So, I mean, I don't know if they're like supposed, I don't think they're supposed to be idolized, but I do think that they are glorified. If you think, I mean, like, I think there's a difference in the two.
0: No, I would agree. I think that that is probably a better wording for it.
1: So, as we wrap up today, I have one last question for you two gals, getting back to kind of the core of what this show is and what the show is here to do. And this is a big overarching question that I don't know if I know the answer to or my opinion on. But overall, big ticket question. (laughs) Is Hamilton a feminist musical or a feminist piece of art? What are your initial reactions? I
0: think Hamilton has intersectional feminist intention. In the sense that it is... I okay one thing I really this is like this could be taken out if we think it's too much but one thing I remember noticing when I first when I saw the musical in January was that the women play like women in the ensemble play like soldiers or things like that and I don't think that that is something that would just make a movie feminist (laughs) like I or a musical feminist I'm not to be like oh women are playing the role of men like I don't think that makes something feminist but I do think it's actually really for me just in terms of, like, my identity as a woman to see, a, like, a particularly a dancer, I think, because that's also, like, a huge part of my identity to, like, see that in, like, the role of, like, a soldier, like, for me was cool, especially as, like, someone who grew up in the Northeast studying, like, um, the Revolutionary War. I was kind of like, oh, I've never, like, thought of myself as someone that, like, could be, like, fighting these wars, you know? So for me, I'm like, oh, that is powerful in terms of representation. And of course, Hamilton is, wonderful in terms of its representation of people of color i think that there are particular scenes in hamilton that you could consider to be feminist but as a whole like i think it still falls short but i wouldn't ever go as far to say it's anti feminist so um i like i said i think it has intersectional feminist intention i think why the schuyler sisters makes me cry every time is just because it is like really powerful and you see kind of angelica being a queen and just being a, an empowered woman in new york city yeah i'll leave it at that there's intention um is there area of growth yes very much so
2: i think it's hard to call it straight up a feminist play when it is about a time where women did not have rights yeah so of course like the main characters are going to be men because those were the only people that had rights back then However, I think when you dig into it and if you actually are analyzing it deeply, like you see the power that Angelica has, you see the power that Eliza has, like they are, especially Eliza, like I just, I think she is such a great character and like the end song makes me cry every time when I'm just listening to it, but when I was actually watching it, I was sobbing because you see like Without Eliza, there would have been no Hamilton. There would have been no, like, remembrance of, like, all these people. She tells the story of George Washington. She tells the story of the the soldiers that fought alongside Hamilton. And, like, so I think that last song, Who Tells Your Story, I think that ultimately would make it a feminist play, if you're going to argue that it is.
1: I think that's a good point. I will say that to push back a little bit, Do it. Push back. Technically, you could say, oh, well, you know, if we're going to have a musical that's based on the powerful men of this time, they would inherently have to be white men, you know? So like, I think that, and I agree with all of your points, Pay. I personally do see this as a feminist musical because of the ways in which that it's portraying history. And so I agree that you can't, I mean, although a lot of, this musical is fictionalized, at the end of the day, you can't stray from that core story too much. But I, I like the ways in which Miranda allows for his women to be empowered and allows his audience to see these women, specifically the Skyler sisters, and think, okay, if they were in a 2020 context, they would be badass women at the forefront of every picket line arguing on behalf of the rights of intersectional feminism for women everywhere. Like, especially in... Oh, I keep forgetting this. The name of the song is The Skylar Sisters, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm literally a flop. But, like, in that music, in that piece of music, I love the ways in which their personalities kind of shine through, and we see that they are empowered, they are, are well-read, so although, as Angelica touches on, and satisfied, she really is limited in terms of mobility. As a woman, Miranda allows for like these spots of honestly like sunshine to come through where you can see these women kind of take control of their own destinies in whatever way they can. So to wrap up, as promised, we're going to offer some resources this week. This is, again, as always, is by no means an exhaustive list, but we just wanted to highlight a few organizations, organizations, that we found to be particularly relevant to today's podcast and just places that we think could be a great starting point for people to get involved in their activism.
2: So my resource is called Margins and their goal is to uplift and strengthen black women and their ability to parent. Um, And they aim to intervene in poverty stricken family units and restore hope by providing practical support and Yeah, so you can go on their website. It's marginsw4bw.weebly.com.
0: As many of y'all know, there are a lot of, like, Supreme Court cases that, like, really important ones um, that are happening right now. And one is, so within the theme of immigrants, we get the job done. This case uh, is saying that an asylum seeker in the U.S. must prove that they, quote, have credible fear of returning to their home country in a 7-2 rule asylum seekers in an expedited deportation process can now be denied judicial review if immigration officials deny their, quote, credible fear claim. So essentially, this is going to make, if this goes through, through the Supreme Court, it's going to make asylum basically, like, non-existent um, in this country, which is fucked up, um, to say the least, because hypothetically this country is built on the foundation of immigration um i would argue that this um i would argue that like the american dream really doesn't exist but it should um and people should be able to come here if they want to in general but also especially if they are fleeing violence um but there is are a lot of different ways to get involved you can write your legislators um, and representatives. And, um, I'm just going to plug an organization that supports asylum seekers that is close to me. It's Rio Grande Borderland Ministries. And if you want, they have posted on their website, a lot of different action items. Um, I'll share their Instagram on our Instagram. Um, but if you'd like to follow it's Rio Grande Borderland, or you can visit Rio
1: and lastly, I'm going to plug Ween, which is W-E-E-N, and that is their website is ween, W-E-E-N.com, um, which is the Women in Entertainment Empowerment Network, which is, quote, a nonprofit that creates a blueprint for women of color to spark change, shape history, take what is theirs, and rule like queens end quote. And Queens is in all caps, which I think is very important to note here. So it's essentially empowering young women to get into the entertainment industry, which clearly we can see from our discussion today. Um, There are a lot of spaces that really need diverse voices in theater and entertainment and music and movies are chief among those. So let's help make spaces for women of color and young women of color to have spaces in predominantly white, areas including entertainment so if you want to donate you can go to their website and click sponsor a student they make it super easy you can donate with paypal or debit or credit card um and yeah they're awesome i would highly suggest that you check them out
0: this is just a weekly reminder i know we don't always say this out outright well okay first reminder follow us on instagram at feminist fiends but also weekly reminder to think critically about whatever you're consuming in pop culture. Um, Think critically about the things you love dearly um, and think about their areas of growth. That is part of the unlearning that we, we often talk about. So just remember, and to close out, if it's okay with y'all, if y'all are good with the quote we have, I think that this one is also particularly relevant to always, but to the world we're living in Um, to quote Hamilton. History has its eyes on you. This has been Feminist Fiends in Quarantine
1: Queens. See you next Bye. week. Bye. Bye. Bye.